Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is Rashawn Evans, and you're listening to the No Nonsense Podcast. Welcome to No Nonsense, a Tennessee Titans podcast, your place to go for on-demand Titans coverage that is 100% free of the nonsense that we always see in sports talk these days. I'm Luke Horsham, joined by the other two hosts of No Nonsense, Matthias Wadner and Will Lois. And folks, there was a lot of nonsense on the field at Lambeau on Sunday night when the Titans got their teeth kicked in by the Green Bay Packers. Here's the thing, though, guys. As I wrote in my column after the game, It was a disastrous performance, but it wasn't terribly surprising. Now, I I think the one-sidedness of it was surprising to an extent. What wasn't surprising was the reasons behind it, which was bad defense and Mike Vrabel getting in their way. When the Titans lose in 2020, that's why they lose. So, in that way... It's not like we learned anything new about the Titans in this game. Because we already knew that the defense sucks, and we already know that from time to time, Mike Vrabel, who is a good head coach, every now and then he's going to get in his team's way. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But I'm still surprised by how they looked, uh, by how much they lost, and just how little fight we saw in them. Uh, especially later in the game when the, when the Packers were just running the ball down our throats. It was, it sucked, man. It, it just, it looked bad. It was a bad look. Uh, it makes us look bad to everyone that watched because it was a primetime game. And this is the second primetime game this season that the Titans have just gotten absolutely crushed. They've given up 74 points in two primetime games a season. And I don't know. It's just like they do this. They, they, I don't know. I, I really do not know how good they are because they can look so, so bad. Like in these two primetime games, they have looked like like a four or five win team. Uh, but then they have a game like the Bills won uh, from earlier in the season where they crushed them. So I don't know. I was just really disappointed. And I'm concerned going into the playoffs. But we'll see what happens. I mean, anything could happen in the playoffs. They could catch fire. But it appears that with this defense, the the hope shouldn't be very high. Yeah, uh, I mean, I don't know if it's a lack of pride, a lack of, you know, even understanding that there's a problem, but the defense seems to have gotten so complacent at this point, both coaching and the players, that they there's no nobody's upset when they allow a big play nobody's upset when they allow 40 points when they don't get any sacks or when they just get one sack like 
that there, there's there's very little effort and very little pride in, in the product as a whole. So, I mean, I'm not surprised, and I don't I don't want to say like I'm not surprised, I'm disappointed, or you know, I'm just disappointed with the production, whatever. But it's just this is the way the Titans are going to play. Like they haven't what's his name Haslett, the linebacker coach. He praised Rashawn Evans the, this past week for how you know he plays with his hair on fire and he's given 110%, which wasn't true for the previous 15 weeks. It certainly wasn't true against the Packers. And it's just, it just shows like this team doesn't know what's wrong. They don't know who's playing well and who's not. It, it's the same mistakes. It's Matt Dickerson getting put on his butt over and over and over, like, and there being no changes. Like, it's just it's to the point where it's just apathy. Like I, I think any game where they hold the team to under 35 points is gonna, just going to be a win because I don't, I don't see how this defense stops anybody unless the other team stops themselves. Yeah. And you know, I was listening to midday 180 on Monday morning. And one thing that, that Chad Withrow said that I thought was very wise was that, you know, it's time for Mike Vrabel to, not not necessarily in a press conference, but through his coaching, admit that this defense is just hopeless. And, and, and what that means is you become more aggressive, you, you start going for it even more on fourth down, uh, you you treat your offensive possessions like they, they have to score, and then you take the occasional three and out or defensive stop as a bonus. I thought it was very wise when Chad said that. And that's the point we are. I mean, how many times, guys, I mean, I was coming up with topics for us to talk about, and I wanted to write down, you know, uh, are the Titans good enough to win in the playoffs? We've had that conversation like three or four times, and it always circles back to this idea of if they're going to be good in the playoffs, they're going to have to outscore everyone because this defense isn't stopping anybody. With with As good as the AFC is, you're not going to be getting, you know, Mike Glennon and broken Matthew Stafford in the playoffs. You're going to be getting Josh Allen, Ben Roethlisberger, Phillip Rivers. I mean, even even among those guys, the less talented of them is still going to give you much more of a run for your money than these quarterbacks that the Titans have actually had success against this season. It, it, I don't know. They may win the Super Bowl. They may get beaten 40 to nothing in the wild card round. I don't know. I don't know either. And we have had... It appears, it seems, the same discussion every single week because they're so inconsistent. But at the same time, they are consistent because they let you down when you're expecting them to know to you know finally get it all together. Uh, they get win- wins against the Jaguars and Lions. Yeah, they're bad, but they crush them, and you think maybe they're they're getting on the right track. They go into a huge game against the Packers where they could clinch the the AFC South, and they just could fall completely flat on their face like they did against the Browns after beating the Colts, uh, and like they did against the Bengals after the Texans and Bills wins. It's just, I don't know, man. Like, I don't know if this team is good, like I said before. Like you said, I don't know if they can win in the playoffs. I think if if they play the Ravens, even though we beat them already this season, if they play the Ravens in the first round, I don't think they beat them. I really do not. I think, I, I actually think, most of the other teams would probably beat us. I think the Browns game would be close. Even though the Browns crushed us a couple of weeks ago, 
Uh, and I do think they could beat the Dolphins. If they play the Colts, I have no idea. I have absolutely no idea because they played well against the Colts a couple weeks ago, but two weeks before that, they lost to them by 17 points at home. So I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. Like I said, the defense is is just a major liability. You cannot stop anyone. And I agree that Rabel needs to admit this and pretty much go for it on every single fourth down. Unlike he did in this Packers game when he punted from the 32-yard line on fourth and seven, expecting his defense to get any sort of stop whatsoever or expecting Brett Kern uh, to punt the ball to the one-yard line in the middle of a blizzard. I I don't understand what he was thinking, Uh, and I hope he takes a look at that and kind of admits to himself that was the wrong decision. I know he's not going to do that. We've talked about his his personality in the past, but he needs to get it together. He needs to, I don't know that there's, there's a lot that this team needs to get uh, going, going into the playoffs and they don't have a lot of time to do it. They just have this one week against the Texans. And if they show up flat against the Texans, they might not even make the playoffs. And, and it's something that we seriously have to discuss because it's in Houston. Deshaun Watson is most likely going to play uh, those games of, when Deshaun Watson plays, it's always been close. It's a division game. The Titans usually don't play up to the competition in division games, and it could really go wrong if they don't show up to this one. Yeah, and I, I'll just say it as simply as I know how. It doesn't matter from here on out what offense the Titans play. Like, don't worry about what quarterback they're playing, what running back, what receiver, what coach. That doesn't matter. The question you have to ask yourself is, can the offense score 35 or more points? Because if they can, then the Titans have a really good chance of winning because the Titans have a great offense. But if you're in a situation where you're having a bargain with yourself and say, okay, if the Titans can hold them to 21 points, then I think that our offense can do this, then you're already done. The game's over. There is no situation where this defense is going to hold anybody. Every game that the Titans win in the playoffs will have to be 30 points or more, and that's non-negotiable. So it stop worrying about what quarterbacks. It doesn't matter if you play Aaron Rodgers, if you play Kansas City, if you play Buffalo. It doesn't matter who you play. It doesn't matter what point you play them. It matters a little bit where you play them. But don't don't worry about those off. Like those offenses are going to beat your defense every time. That's just that's just what the Titans are. So. Focus more on the defensive side and what the Titans can do versus that defense, and then everything else is just already set in stone. So, I mean, I want to pose this question, because the number one problem with this defense is what? Pass rush, right? Is there anybody that's going to dissent from that? Well, okay. I mean, yeah, like... But that's what I'm getting to. That's what I'm getting to. So, So hold off just a second. I don't know that, like... Who, take the greatest defensive coordinator of all time, and this was another thing he talked about on, on the Midday 180 this week, is is this idea of, uh, okay, take the greatest defensive coordinator ever. What in the world is he going to be able to do with Brooks Reed and Wyatt Ray running around out there? Nothing. Nothing. It, it's a personnel issue as much as it's a coaching, a coaching issue, and it has just contributed to a collective disaster that has no end in sight because now Roberson is dealing with an injury. We also had Clowney who, who who's out for the season because of an injury. And even though 
they're not great. Even Clowney, like he had zero sacks, but I mean, it's better than Brooks Reed, but we shouldn't be in this position. We were clamoring for pass rush help in the off season. Yeah. They signed Clowney, even though we had reservations about him as an actual pass rusher. They signed Vic Beasley, who no one wanted, no one wanted. And we knew it was a possibility that he wouldn't even be on this team this entire season that came to fruition. And I mean, the front office and Mike Rabel kind of put themselves in this position and now they're in this position and it's awful. And there, there's no one in sight because they're not good enough coaches to, to counteract uh, the lack of pass rush talent that, that's on the roster. I mean, I just, I feel like I'm going insane. Like we saw this deep, like we, we have, and I've had this argument so many times we saw what nine out of a these starters on the team last year when they were a much, much, much better defense, like Adoree Jackson, Malcolm Butler, Kevin Byard, Kenny Vaccaro. Okay, they had Logan Ryan, but they replaced him with with Desmond King, who has been a better corner everywhere he's been, you know, and he's been fine here, but he hadn't been anything great. Rashawn Evans, David Long, Jeffrey Simmons, Daquan Jones, Harold Landry. Like, we saw all those guys – start or play heavily for this defense down the stretch and in the playoffs and they were not this bad like this is not a personnel issue I I don't I I don't know how else to explain it other than to just go back to the Titans have what 15 sacks now and they had 42 last year like then you get into the point differential which is like a full touchdown or something different and it's it's just insane to me because I, like I hear that everybody wants a better pass rusher and they want guys that can create. And part of that is the guys just don't seem to put forth any effort this year. But these same players, like like I said, nine out of 11 started. The only people that have changed are Casey's not there. Logan Ryan's not there. And then, you know, Logan Ryan slash Jayon Brown. Like that, I mean, that's... Well, hold on. But, but if we're talking about the pass rush, I mean, Casey left. I, I know he didn't have a lot left in the tank, but he got a pair of sacks last season. He got a good amount. Uh, we also had Cam Lake Correa, who we got rid of midseason. Uh, we had Cameron Wake for, like, one big week. We had Reggie Gilbert. I mean, they're not, yeah, but, they weren't great, but they were at least better I mean, than the personnel that we have now. Roberson had three sacks and, like, 15 snaps or something insane. And, like... Vrabel hadn't been able to figure out a way to use him at all this year to be productive. And some of it was because he was dealing with an injury, whatever. Like, Kamala Correa asked to be off the team, like, whatever there, too. But it's not like Simmons' production hadn't replaced what Casey did. Like, Simmons has, what, like three sacks, and Casey had five all the last year. So it's not it's not like there's a massive drop-off there. A Daquan Jones has been more productive as a pass rusher this year than he was last year. And, the, I mean, the big problem is – on key situations, Landry's out covering the slot receiver or he's mm-hmm. off ball covering a tight end or he's covering the flats or you've got a three-man rush or you're blitzing a safety from 20 yards back that doesn't get there or Kevin Byard's running into another guy trying to blitz. like, Or the thing we see all the time on third and two, they've got guys 10 yards off the line of scrimmage. Like, I mean, that's not a player issue. Like, I, I understand that we want these players like a TJ Watt or an Aaron Donald who – just make things happen on their own regardless of scheme and that would be great to have but for the 99 percent of players 
that play on every other defense in the league. Like, there's a reason why they look good some weeks and bad other weeks, and that's because they're in good or bad schemes. Like, this team is not halfway rebuilt. Like, this is a team that is the majority the same, and the, the results are so drastically different from where they were last year that I understand that we can say we wish they were more talented on defense. But after what we saw last year, you can't say that this is the best that you can get from this group. Yeah. And another thing, just to to add to to maybe it's a coaching issue, which I mean, I think it's a little bit of both, but it's probably more coaching. Uh, and then I'm thinking about this. I mean, Logan Ryan had like six sacks last year. J.M. Brown had like seven because they were schemed up to be able to get to the quarterback because the pass rush itself with four and five couldn't really get home. And that's just non-existent this year. It's non-existent. I can't remember a Jayon Brown or a cornerback sack. I, I really cannot remember uh, at any point this season. We rarely run those types of delayed blitzes, sneaky blitzes, where we get to the quarterback because of an unaccounted for pass rusher. And, I mean, that that falls completely on the coaching staff. And And the guys don't look like they're playing hard. Like – like I said, they look like it, to open this. I said they don't look like they have any pride. Like they look like they've resigned themselves to giving up these huge chunk plays and not getting sacked. I mean, there, there's no guys. You know, it looks like Simmons is fatigued. Jones is like, I mean, he's doing his thing, but he's more of what we saw from the last three years and not what we've seen from the first half of this year and, and a little bit beyond that. Like the guys that were doing a lot aren't. And Malcolm Butler is the only guy who's consistently, seemingly given an effort. Like, I mean, you know, more power to him because he managed to get over bad plays and come out and try to make something else. But, I mean, the rest of the players, I mean, as soon as the Titans were down 14-0, they were all mentally done. Like, it was just, I hope they don't score 100 on us. Like, that, that's that's all I felt when the defense was out there. So, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, and that's, for as much as we praise Vrabel for the mentality he's given the team and, you know, we're not out of any game no matter how far we're behind and we're going to compete and all that stuff. That's happening on offense where he has the least amount of involvement. It's not happening on defense. I mean, well, you, you bring up this idea, both of you did, or the idea of effort. I don't understand why that would be a problem. Like, I, I, well, okay. Let, let me, let me do this. They're so, soft, man. I like, they're yeah. just soft. I don't. I don't know what but, happened. But why? They had Cause, cause, because if you want to blame Mike Vrabel, you can say a lot about Mike Vrabel. He's not a very soft guy, and he talks a lot about not having a soft football team, and he hasn't in the yeah. past. So why? Why all of a sudden is this happening? Well, I think there's a disconnect in what he wants to be and what he actually is. I mean, in in the moment, he is scared. Like the, every defense, he's you know. That it's just a scared defense. Like in the moment when you know the game's on the line, they play ten yards off scrim off the line of scrimmage. They play extra safeties back. Like they're not attacking. Like that's not that's not that might be who he wants to be, and that might be who he is as a person. And when he was on the football field, that is not who he is as a play caller or as whatever instruction he's given Shane Bowen. Or you know, and at this point whatever he whatever Shane Bowen does Vrabel is complicit in even if he's not calling the plays he said from day one that if he wants to call a blitz he's going to override the defensive play call and he's going to call a blitz 
that was in his introductory press press conference. Like he said, if he wants to take a deep shot, he's just going to overrule and take a deep shot. Like he said, that's what he considers part of his job. So even if he's not the guy that's going to be called the play caller at the end of the season, when the hell actually has to be paid, like it's him complicit in Shane Bowen says, this is what he wants over the intercoms. Vrabel just sits there and listens or he chimes in and does whatever. And then they give up another third down conversion. So like, For whatever Vrabel says he wants this team to be, and for what Vrabel the individual is, this Vrabel-led defense where he said the most influence is not aggressive. Well, Vrabel certainly wasn't aggressive on Sunday when he decided to punt from the 32-yard line instead of just going for it on fourth down and seven. And, you know, that kept coming to mind, Will, when you said that Vrabel talks a big game about toughness and aggressiveness, but at the end of the day, you just don't really see it. And I think you have a point there. I really do, because how many times have we, over the last three years, sat here and talked about three-man rushes on third down in obvious passing situations? How many times have we said, well, if you just blitz every now and then, maybe you'll get some sacks? Uh... You know, I I think there's some duplicity there. I really do. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know. It, he does seem to say the right... Well, no, he doesn't say the right things in press conferences because he's like... We gotta play better, gotta coach the better. Entire, yeah, yeah, like we, we've said the same thing all season. <laughs> but they don't do that. They do not play better, and they do not coach better, and <laughs> it just never seems to come to fruition. But, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess he just got painted as this aggressive uh, mindset type of coach. I, I don't know when it happened. I guess I guess maybe two years ago or maybe last year he would go for it on, on fourth down a decent amount. Uh, and I still think he does probably more so than a lot of conservative coaches coaches in the NFL – but he still has so many moments where you're just completely questioning his his decisions, uh, what he's doing, and, and why he's doing it. And this one, I, I just I cannot wrap my mind around around the one in this game uh, on the fourth and seven uh, from from the thirty two yard line. I mean, Brett Kern's punt went in the end zone. It ended up being a net of twelve yards. And the Packers ended up getting more than 12 yards. I'm pretty, I, I'm pretty sure, like the first play, because the defense can't stop anyone. And I, I don't know why, why he doesn't just understand that the defense can stop anyone, uh, especially an offense uh, as powerful as the Packers. And we're going to see offenses like the playoffs. So I don't know what he's thinking going into the playoffs, but he will have to change. If we do want to make a run, maybe the first round he'll get away with it if we play the Dolphins or the Browns because they're not necessarily powerhouse offenses. All Browns put up, what was it, 41 points on us uh, a couple of weeks ago. So I don't know. I feel like there's a disconnect between – yeah, I, I mean, Will said it. There's a disconnect, disconnect between what Vrabel thinks he knows and what he believes – his team is and what the team actually is, what the team is actually good at, what the team is actually bad at. And it seems he just can't come to terms with the fact that this is his team and they're really bad on his side of the ball. And 
like we've talked about, like, like he cannot look himself in the mirror and just say, yeah, this is my fault. This is this bad. But he can't get around to it. And it's probably going to end up costing uh, the Titans possibly a couple of playoff wins. Yeah. And he, I mean, he's just a bad self-evaluator. Like it all comes down to, he thinks that, and he's sort of said this is, you know, your record is what, you, you know, you are what your record is. And that's true. But the whole, the whole thing of like, I think he believes everything is kind of ebbs and flows is he thinks that as long as he stays the course with this defensive mentality and with the guys that are struggling, he thinks that they'll snap out of it and be good. Even though it's the same thing over and over and over. And the only times the Titans win games is when, Arthur Smith's side of the ball completely takes over and either puts the other team in an uncomfortable situation or scores so much that it doesn't matter. Like it's, it's he's never figured out a way and said, okay, this is where teams are attacking me. I need to change that. The one time he had a chance to do that is when Robinson had to step in and cut all his friends. Like, I mean, we had to step in and cut Jonathan Joseph and, you know, he had to cut, not that Vic Beasley was his friend or anything, but like he had to cut Joseph and he cut Vic Beasley because he wasn't getting it done and because Vrabel wouldn't stop putting him out on the field. So like, I mean, I don't know what more of an indication you need than that. And then, you know, your boss basically coming in and saying, look, you've done the wrong thing so many times. I'm going to take that possibility away from you. And you come out and continue to make wrong decisions in other ways. And, you know, with his defense too, at the beginning of the season, we kept hearing about, well, communication's the problem, and, well, we've got a new play caller. Once we get him figured out, everything's going to be okay. That's what they kept saying. And, and, and now we sit here and look at this defense, and it's like, okay, well, it's not communication. can't be unless, like, someone's, like, speaking a literal different language, like Swahili or something out there uh, because we're too late in the season for that to be a thing. I don't know. It's 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 really bad, and I think we can end it in this conversation by saying this. You know, I hate to talk about the off season because we're sitting here talking about a team that's uh, probably about to win their division. But looking ahead to the off season, they're going to have to overcorrect. I mean, there's going to have to be some major moves on the defensive side of the ball. I think there has to be a coaching move or two or, or perhaps three. I think you gotta go out and make a move for a pass rusher, whether it's spending money on one, whether you're you're trading up in the draft, whether you're trading draft picks to someone for a pass rusher, a proven pass rusher. Uh, you gotta get better at other positions too. There's gonna be a lot of work that has to be done on this defense, a lot of questions that will have to be answered by this coaching staff. And again, I hate to look ahead of the offseason, but you know, the team's not done, but this unit certainly is. Yeah, I mean, there there have to be changes made, especially to some of these position coaches, because, I, I mean, the linebackers have been the biggest drop-off, I would say, the inside linebackers, and the person who coaches them is Jim Haslett. It's his first year. He's one of the more, I think, the most experienced coach on the roster, and he's just done a bad job because both of his starting linebackers have regressed it a lot. Uh, and then you look at the outside linebackers, the, the edge pass rushers, they suck. They stink. And guess who coaches them? It's Shane Bowen, who is the quote-unquote 
unofficial defensive coordinator. We never, we've still have not gotten clarity on that, but I, I, I don't know. Like those guys probably have to go. I, I, they probably won't because Rabel loves staking with his guys. He's very loyal to his friends, but I don't know. I mean, Shane Bowen has to get demoted as quote unquote defensive coordinator, interim defensive coordinator. I don't know what that position is, but they have to hire probably a veteran presence to be the defensive coordinator, clearly Vrabel cannot do it himself because this defense looks eerily similar to the Texans defense from a few years ago where he was the defensive coordinator. And I think I'm pretty sure they were like the worst defense in the league from a statistics perspective. I mean, that's not a coincidence. It's not a coincidence. Yeah. There's a tr- there's a pattern there. And it's something that, that John Robinson has to take into account because Vrabel will not do it. He will not face the facts. But if John Robinson does it, he's the guy who is making all the decisions. He has to to really look at this uh, just from a, a big picture perspective and realize this is bad. And if this continues in the next season, it could get a lot worse because like we've talked about and like every football analyst has ever talked about, uh, it's really tough to, to maintain – uh, this offensive fortitude. Like, the, it's really hard to have this offensive success uh, for such a long time. And the Titans are going on a year and a half of this. And it would be silly to think that they could keep this up, especially th- this season. I mean, they're putting the points at a crazy rate, uh, at least going into this this last Sunday night. And to, to expect that to continue next season, I think, is a little short-sighted. And the defense has to get better in order to atone for that potential regression that that could be coming i mean i i think you have to go into it thinking that or this offseason just while we're talking about it briefly i think you have to go into the offseason thinking that haslett and uh bowen and vrabel have basically cost john brown six million dollars a year based off what he could have had if he was healthy i mean i mean if he was going to make 13 million he'll make seven now maybe somewhere and I don't know if it'll be in Tennessee. And then Rashawn Evans may not start next year. Like, he may be a guy that has to come off the bench or is in that Wesley Woodyard, like, run-down-only kind of mold because he's already getting pulled off the field for nickel package and dime package defense. Like, he's already regressed so much that they don't want him on third downs. Like, I I don't know if they can pick up his option. I don't know any of that stuff happens. So, I mean, this one year of such bad coaching on defense is going to cost a lot of guys a lot of money. Do you think there's anything to Tyrone McKenzie, who was the inside linebackers coach in 2019, um, uh, being gone now for Jim Hazlitt, who Vrabel brought in to be the inside linebackers coach in 2020? I mean, this is purely speculative. I don't know that any of us can sit here definitively. Uh, I, I wrote about this a few weeks ago, um, just about who should have been hired as the coordinator. And when you look at the drop-off, I think that there is such a clear drop-off in what happened at the linebacker position once he left that even if you don't think that he should have been the defensive coordinator, you have to say that he did something with those linebackers that was working well. And it's the position that's had the biggest drop-off. And I think that if you look at what happened once Shane Bowen, what you know, in, with hindsight being twenty twenty, if you look at what Shane Bowen has done, where 
you know, he clearly has made his own position group worse. And it wasn't like he was lighting on fire to begin with. It looks like a bad decision in retrospect to hire him uh, or to, to not hire McKenzie. And then also Williams, the defensive line coach, he's probably done the best work over the last two or three years. He should have been considered. Well, I mean, I, I, I mean, it's just kind of logical, right? To, to assume that some of these position groups are worse because they have new coaches like uh, the inside linebackers, like we said, Hazlitt. The outside linebackers, it, it, they were bad last year, but they've gotten a bit worse this year. And Bowen is still the outside linebackers coach, but he has the added responsibility of possibly calling plays and being the defensive coordinator. Then you have Anthony Midget in the secondary. The secondary has gotten worse than last year, I would say. Scott Booker's in his first season as the safeties coach, and the safeties have gotten worse. So, and then you think about the fact that the defensive line is pretty good. The the D line has been one of the bright spots of the defense, and Terrell Williams has been the coach there for for like three seasons. So it's kind of just connecting the dots and realizing, yeah, they're they're in their first season as these coaches for groups. The positions have gone worse. It's just kind of logical. Yeah, I don't know. I, I hate I hate all of it. Like. <laughs> It seems it seems like if you could have like put this on a spectrum, it's like the worst case scenario for what could have happened on the defensive side. Just because, I mean, every all of our worst fears have been confirmed. Like Shane Bowen was a puppet, and he shouldn't have gotten. He was questionable to even have the outside linebacker job anyway, based off what he was producing. Then the inside linebackers coach left. You know, he not not that. McKenzie did great in Detroit or anything like, you know, not saying that, but the the inside linebackers are worse. Defensive tackles are fine, like we talked about. Safeties and the defensive backs in general with Midget, who was part of the worst defense in football last year, one of them, uh, and then it replaces Kerry Coombs, who was a legendary defensive backs coach. It's like, yeah, like it turns out all those things did matter and they were a sign that we were smarter than Brable in the moment. And now we have to hope that that same guy who made all those mistakes will correct them somehow. Okie doke. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to look ahead to the Titans final game of the regular season, which will be against the Houston Texans. It's a game with obviously many, many playoff implications. We will let you know everything you need to know in terms of the permutations and and combinations for what can and may and could and should happen if the titans win if the titans lose if this team wins if that team loses we're gonna let you know all of that in 30 seconds we are back and it is time to look ahead to the titans regular season finale guys against the houston texans a team the titans know well a team that the three of us know very well uh let's start with this because i think in terms of the pure football aspect of this, the big storyline out there is this rousing address that J.J. Watt gave to the media after his uh, after the Texans, I believe, 11th loss of the season on Sunday. If you haven't seen this video, pause the podcast, get on Twitter, just search J.J. Watt. It'll be the first thing that comes up, most likely. Uh, but he gives this rousing address about how you got to give 100% effort all season long, no matter if you're winning uh, or losing or whatever. Uh, and, and there's this belief out there. Diana Rossini from ESPN even tweeted this today that because J.J. Watt has given this rousing speech to the media, 
his team is going to suddenly, his team that is 4-11, is going to suddenly reverse course, buy in to interim head coach Romeo Cornell, and they are going to come out on Sunday and give the Titans a run for their money. And to be honest, I think there might be some credence to that. I think we could see an energized Texans team based on that speech. Here are two counters to that. Number one, why didn't he give this speech much earlier if that was all it was going to take to make this a good football team? Because Houston stinks. And number two is if Houston uh, uh, loses to the, or beats the Titans, it's not going to be because J.J. Watt gave a rousing speech. It's going to be because uh, Deshaun Watson comes out and boat races this terrible Titans defense, right? Yeah, I, I I don't I don't know what a one post game press conference speech would would do for anyone, except it was like the except for the Tim Tebow uh, speech as a Florida Gator. That one, that one probably got got everyone going. But dude, JJ Watt probably gives these speeches all the time in the locker room, and they're still four and eleven, so they're probably not doing much uh, much work anyway. And uh, yeah, the Texans are probably going to come out probably with a little more pep in their step just because it's a division game. They probably hate the Titans. Uh, they want to knock them out of the playoffs. That that would be a good way to go out. But we also have to take into account the fact that they just gave up 37 points to Brandon Allen and, and, and the Bengals, who are one of the worst teams in the league. And they look like they legitimately did not want to be on the football field and was at home. I mean, th- this team sucks. Yeah, we might lose to them just because – the Titans are so inconsistent, and and they love making everything harder than it should be. But they're not going to come out and turn into the 2019-2018 Houston Texans again because of a couple of words from from their captain JJ Watt. Yeah, and sort of a mini stop the nonsense. Did you read the uh, tweet quote like verbatim, Luke? The Watt video? Uh, did, did, no, no, no. The tweet that Rossini tweeted, did you read it out verbatim? Not on the podcast. No, I have read it. Okay. Uh, well, I, I, I'll, I'll read it verbatim. It said, after J.J. Watt's postgame speech, how does Houston not play well on Sunday? I believe the Texans are going to come out on fire against the Titans and potentially end Tennessee's season. And the reason I bring that up is because Lawan re- like just tweeted back at her and said, I'm prepared to say dot, 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 this tweet ages horribly. So that's good news is that Lawan Le- disagrees with the fact that, you know, this rah-rah speech is going to come back and yeah, Lawan's, do anything. Lawan's going to make a big impact in this game. I mean, as much as the J.J. Watt speech will. <laughs> like, I mean, they're, they're both non-factors. <laughs> so, that, you know... It, by the time they kick off on Sunday, there will be so many different things that will happen, one of which is that the Titans could have already clinched a playoff berth. Like, they may not have clinched the AFC South, but with the games that go on earlier in the day, they could already know whether or not they're going to the playoffs. So this big, like, we're going to end their season and all that kind of stuff, yeah, maybe, I guess, there is a percent chance that that could happen. But in addition to Houston winning – you would also have to, you know, rely on several other games to, you know, to go your way. So th- this seems like one of those things that we talk about on Monday and Tuesday. Injury reports come out Wednesday. We don't hear about it again until Sunday morning when people will like say, oh, do you remember this cliff that went around? And they use it to kind of inject 
enthusiasm into the game. I mean, it's not the first time he's done that this season. He's been upset. He's talked about how much losses have hurt. He's tried to call guys out. Like, I mean, they started 0-3 or 0-4 or something. So, I don't know. Maybe worse than that. Maybe they were 0-5. I, I can't remember. But the point is, like, if there was a turning point in the season, it's not right now. And it's not after Deshaun Watson almost snapped his elbow in half. And for whatever reason, the Texans are risking playing him. Like, I would be very careful throwing stuff around like that because what you don't want is you don't want the Titans defense, which has no reason to make any play at all ever. You don't want to make one player on their team mad and then realize, oh, wait, you might be without Laramie Tunsil, your one good offensive tackle. Why don't we just blitz y'all 80 times so that we can get this narrative of the Green Bay Packers lost out of our head? And then you get your quarterback hit. 30 times and then a guy who's been out for the season twice in his career with an injury goes into the offseason with a broken elbow like I, I would not poke this bear and not that the defense is any sort of bear but I, I just wouldn't try to rile up the titans I, I don't know what this whole fan into the flames really achieves other than maybe a few more ra- a few more people watching well you bring up the point about you know the titans could theoretically already have clinched a playoff spot before this game starts. So let's go through the scenarios. Let's start with the easy. If the Titans win this game against the Texans, they win the AFC South. If the Colts lose to the Jaguars, which, I mean, could happen. Jacksonville certainly doesn't need to lose. They've already locked up the number one draft pick. Um, But, uh, you know, if the Colts lose to the Jaguars, the Titans also would lock up the AFC South. So now let's get into how the Titans earn a wildcard spot. Because the most likely outcome here, probably, is that they win the division. However, if they lose, there are pathways. If they lose and the Colts do not lose, there are two other pathways that would give them a wildcard spot. And that would be if the Baltimore Ravens fall to the Cleveland Browns or if the Miami Dolphins fall to the Buffalo Bills. So those are your scenarios. They're they're pretty simple. There's not a whole lot of, you know, if that happens and, and this doesn't, you know, it's fairly straightforward, I think. Uh, I'll, I'll pose this. Let, let's do some uh, some postulating, some, some good old sports talk radio predictions. Which do you think is going to happen? Because my guess is the Titans are just going to win this football game and, and take the AFC South. I think that's what... Is most likely. I think this a lot of this Texan stuff is is being overblown. Yes, Deshaun Watson is a good player. They've already beaten Deshaun Watson this year. I just don't see a whole lot of life coming out of this Houston team this week. And I think the Titans are a good enough team to, you know, for goodness sakes, take care of business against a four and eleven team and win the division for the first time in twelve years. Yeah, I, I think they beat the Texans. Also, I mean the Texans. Could not stop Derrick Henry uh, earlier in the season. He had uh, his biggest game of the year. He had 212 rushing yards. He had 50 through the air. I just think the Titans are going to be able to control this game. Yeah, Deshaun is probably going to get his because our defense sucks completely and is awful. But they also don't have Will Fuller, and their offense hasn't been as explosive without him over the over the past month. Uh, and I just feel like the Titans have too much on offense going up against a defense that rivals the Titans in terms of how bad they are. And I I just think it's going to be too much. But 
Never say never, you know? Never say never. Yeah, and one thing that not a lot of people talk about, we talked about Will Fuller not being there. Corey Davis didn't play in the last time the Texans played. He was still in that COVID protocol from uh, the Bills game. So now you've got Corey Davis, the team's leading receiver, and A.J. Brown, and Derrick Henry. You know, not not that A.J. Brown and Derrick Henry weren't great when they played last time, I mean, they were, but when all three of those guys have been on the field, they've just been a different team when it hadn't been snowing. Like they've been able to do kind of whatever they want, pick you apart, however they want to do it. Deep shots, short passes, yak, you know, runs up the middle, runs outside quarterback runs. Like they've been able to do a lot of stuff. So, you know, long story short, all that is last time we thought the game was a high scoring game because it went, the Titans won with, I think 42 points in overtime. I mean, 40 points has become almost routine for the Titans offense now. So the Titans offense has gotten much stronger. You know, the the Texans offense has gotten weaker. I mean, I, I just, I don't see any way that this favors the Texans more than it did last time. But before we close out and, and do our stop the nonsense segment, I do want to, to take a look at the bottom of the AFC and, and figure out, you know, if the Titans are in the playoffs, who would be theoretically joining them? Because the teams that are in the hunt, or as Rich Eisen would say, sniffing it, are the Miami Dolphins, the Baltimore Ravens, the Browns, and the Colts. If the season ended today, the Colts would be on the outside looking in, and it would be Miami, Baltimore, and Cleveland below the Titans as the three wildcard teams. However, there are scenarios where any of those four teams below the Titans do not make the playoffs. There's also, you know, of course, a scenario where the Titans don't make the playoffs. It's a loaded AFC this year. I will say this. I think of those teams, Miami is probably the biggest fraud. Uh, I'm not calling them a fraud. I'm saying that by default of those teams, they are the biggest one. Uh, what do we think, guys? How is this going to shake out at the bottom of the AFC? Because the Chiefs, Bills, and Steelers have all clinched, and then you have five 10 and 5 teams below that fighting for four spots. So it's been kind of different this year because there's only one seed that gets a bye. So the Bills and the Steelers still technically have something to play for. They, they could play for the two seed. Uh, the thing is the Steelers have already announced that Ben Roethlisberger isn't playing and uh, a lot of their starters probably aren't going to play in this game. So it's pretty much chalking up a win for the Browns. And the Bills haven't said anything yet, but I'm assuming they're going to do the same thing because they're going to assume that the Steelers aren't going to win. So if Josh Allen also rests and the Bills rest some of their starters, they're probably going to lose to the Dolphins. And what that would do is pretty much give the Dolphins to the Titans. That would be the 4-5 matchup. And I think that's the ideal matchup for the Titans right now, to be honest. Like... I'm from Miami, you know, I cheer for the Dolphins on the side in, in secret, but um, I don't think they're that good. Like, their defense is very good. Uh, they have a couple of playmakers on offense. Miles Gaskin is really good. Uh, Devontae Parker is good, but but he's always dealing with some nagging injuries. Same with Kasicki. But their quarterback situation is a mess. Tua can't seem to move the offense very well. Uh, Fitzpatrick can, but we all know he's very turnover-prone. Uh, and he doesn't really scare me all that much, even though our defense is, is awful. Uh, so I think that's a game that the Titans could and should win. What scares me is is if we get the Ravens. And I don't know the exact scenarios for that. There are several. 
uh, for them. And I think especially if Buffalo does play all their starters and Josh Allen plays the whole game, they're probably going to beat Miami because it's also in Buffalo. And that would catapult Baltimore into into that five seed. And that would I that scares me. I, I don't think we could beat Baltimore given how they've played over the past month. They have looked like one of the best teams in the NFL. Lamar Jackson finally uh, has recaptured some of his form from last year. Uh, and we know how, how good their defense can be. So I, that would concern me. Uh, I think Miami's the best option for us. Cleveland, I think, is a, a real toss-up. Uh, and I think the Ravens would, would be the one that scares me the most. Yeah, Miami scares me a little bit, not because of what they can do on offense, but because, again, the Titans' defense makes everybody at least a 25-point offense. So, like, if they put Fitzpatrick out there, that's scary just because he's, like, a little bit insane. The problem is is they're so sound on defense, and they have three really good corners uh, that makes me really uncomfortable because I don't like teams that – because they probably get the best corners of any team potentially going to the playoffs. So I really don't like the idea of having to match up those two guys against Corey Davis and A.J. Brown because for as good as those two are – it's more about the fact that it suffocates your run game because then you can blitz a lot more and you can be incredibly aggressive and then just trust your one-on-ones on the outside. So that makes me pretty nervous. I mean, Baltimore, like Baltimore is scary, but Baltimore's defense also let us run all over them. And then Calais Campbell's back and everybody's like, Oh, you know, Calais Campbell. But they also say that the people that watch him say that he doesn't look like he's anywhere near what he's usually been. And they had to hurry him back. You know, I I don't know. I think that Baltimore probably wants to take it out on us that we, you know, took them to the playoffs last year. We beat them this year and almost cost them to miss the playoffs because of it. You know, I, I can see them bringing a lot of hate to that game and wanting to steal one in Nashville where we, you know, stole one in Baltimore or whatever. I can see them coming in with hate, but just in terms of being afraid of them, like, I hate to tell y'all, but... Lamar Jackson, Ryan Fitzpatrick, it doesn't matter. They're both going to look exactly the same against the Titans defense. So, like, that that doesn't concern me at all. Um, I just – I really don't want to go against a structurally sound defense that's getting the most out of their talent and, like, Miami is. I feel like that's what's going to happen. The quarterback controversy is the only thing making me a little bit, you know, less hesitant about backing the Titans in that one. Either way, it's just – it's getting to the point where I would much rather talk about this after the Titans, you know, if the Titans win on Sunday, I'd much rather talk about it then when I feel more confident that this team isn't going to get absolutely trounced. It's crazy that there's a scenario uh, where the Titans could end up being the seventh seed. And I think that would be so crazy. Uh, it's crazy to me that, uh, that, that the Colts like are on the outside looking in like, yeah, it feels like right. It feels like they haven't lost a game in like two months. And it feels like, except for the one the Titans beat them in, I mean, they beat the Packers. Like, and then, you know, you look at it and it's like, well, the Browns have lost. They just lost to the Jets. Surely they're like farther behind. It's like, nope, they own the right tiebreakers. Then it's like, well, the Ravens had a terrible middle of the season. Surely they're on. It's like, nope, they're, they've got the tiebreakers. And it's like Miami, like, you know, we haven't talked about Miami. It's like, oh, actually they've got, it's like, well, great. Okay. I guess the tiebreakers just so happen to favor the Titans the most or else we would be in that situation. Why are the Colts? Why are they on the outside? Is it conference record? It's got to be AFC. 
right? Like, well, I mean, they would be leading the division if it wasn't for the fact that the Titans had a better division record than them. Yeah. No, but but I don't know why, like, for instance, Miami and Cleveland and Baltimore are all ahead mm. of them. Okay, I, I figured it out. It's conference record, but also with Cleveland, it's it's uh, head-to-head. Oh, it's with Baltimore also. They lost both of them. Head-to-head oh, win yeah, percentage. That's right, that weird interception that Rivers threw. Head-to-head win percentage, yeah. Okay, interesting. Oh, man, that that week one loss to the Jaguars is going to end their season. Which is it so, should. Which is, so which is great. Deserving. Yeah, it I mean, should, though. That's what Jacksonville's only win this year. Yeah. Wow, yeah. that is true. Yeah, they've they've lost fifteen in a or fourteen in a row. Gosh. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, we're, shout out Jaguars. Yeah, we're going to transition now into uh, stop the nonsense as we close out this episode. Who would like to get us started? I will. Uh, so. <laughs> I have a problem with is as much crazy as it sounds. I have a problem with overreaction and completely ignoring like a whole body of work. <laughs> so, uh, like I said, it may sound crazy, but there's a lot of Titans fans, and you know, we talked about this before the podcast started, who are so ready to completely say that this team is washed and that they're, you know they're not going to win a game. Blah blah blah. Just everybody relax like take a deep breath this is still one of the high scoring offenses in the nfl they played a night game in the snow they had you know they had a couple of bad breaks a couple of bad calls the offense was forced to try to come back from behind and do some things that they weren't accustomed to doing because they, they've never been in a situation where they haven't been able to score quickly or at least get some lucky break at any point i mean keep in mind this team did have a blocked field goal mysteriously called back for no reason and then uh they got they luckily got their only sack of the game after that but then they also had the run that was out of bounds that wasn't out of bounds blah 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 just everybody relax this is the same team that lost to cincinnati but it's also the same team that won 10 games and you know destroyed the bills and looked great you know has looked great for the majority of the last four weeks like I, I just I don't want everybody freaking out and my stop the nonsense is just these people who are so ready to say, I told you so, this team's not any good, trying to defend takes they had six weeks ago about a team that's still playing terribly on defense, and that's fine to talk about. But the whole Tannehill, you know, I told you he wasn't any good. Look at what he threw two interceptions in the snow, this and that. I just I don't want to hear any of that. Like we need to accept that this is a flawed team that their strengths are really strong and their weaknesses are really weak, but they're by no means done or a waste of a playoff spot or anything else like that, which I've been seeing online, which is borderline wild. It's weird. Like the take of like, they don't even deserve to make the playoffs. Like they're 10 and whatever. What are you talking? They're 10 and five. What are you talking about? There's also this weird thing that people treat it like it's a meritocracy. It's like, look, (laughs) <laughs> this is sports. It's the ultimate meritocracy. It's like if you win, you merit entry into the playoffs. Like, Correct. I don't know what else to tell you. Like it's like there is no other merit system where it's like, oh, but you're not factoring in the fact that it was windy on that game for this team. And it's like, no, like <laughs> shut up. Like that's not what this is. Like well, the it was windy for the other win. team too. 
yeah it's like the merits are the wins like there's no other system of value where you can say well this team's more worthy because they're point differential it's like shut up all right here's mine so and i shared this with you two the other day my stop the nonsense is is the trevor lawrence hype i think it has gotten out of control I really like Trevor Lawrence. I think he's a great prospect. I think he's the greatest quarter, the best quarterback prospect we have seen in some time. However, it has gotten over the top. I've seen stuff like the Titans are going to be facing Trevor Lawrence for the next 15 years. And it's just like everyone has just assumed, not even that he's not going to be a bust, but that he is guaranteed to be a star NFL quarterback for the next decade and a half. I think the odds are good that Trevor Lawrence is going to be a good player, but let's not forget that drafting NFL quarterbacks is often the biggest fluke in all of sports. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it works at first and then stops working. Sometimes it doesn't work at first and then starts working. That includes everyone. There's rarely, there, there's never a sure thing. Even Andrew Locke, who back in 2012 seemed like a sure thing, was not a sure thing. I mean, he didn't even last 15 years. So let, let's just calm down just a little bit. You can praise him. You can talk about him being great. But these wild predictions and like this whole assumption that like Jacksonville is fixed now. Let's calm down just a little bit. We also need to take into account the fact that like the environment for the quarterback, especially young quarterbacks, is usually very important uh, in terms of their success and how they grow as a player. And Jacksonville isn't exactly the best uh, environment for, for anyone. And, and there's still a lot to be written in, in terms of that book. And maybe they don't maybe. even draft Trevor Lawrence. Maybe they draft Zach Wilson because they loved his bowl performance. We don't know. We don't know. They drafted Blake Bortles third overall. We really never know. Okay? Yeah. Oh. But we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> anyway, my, uh, my stop to nonsense is our good friend Booger McFarland, oh, who is out of Monday Night Football – but he's still a talking head on ESPN. So yesterday, they had a seg. I think it was yesterday. They had a segment about Dwayne Haskins who got released, uh, and he was talking about black players in the NFL, particularly young players who are just kind of more predisposed to their brand uh, than uh, focusing on, on the NFL. So his quote was, they come into this league and they ask themselves the wrong thing. They come into the league saying, not how can I become a better player? They don't say, how can I become a better teammate? They don't say, how can I be a better person? How can I get my organization over the hump? Here's what they're coming saying. Here's what they come in saying. How can I build my brand better? How can I build my social media following better? How can I work out on Instagram and show everybody that I'm ready to go, but when I get to the game, I don't perform? I mean, what? What? what, what is, it? is this because of Juju? Is, is this because... He dances uh, on TikTok, and, and then he has a bad game, and he fumbles against the Bengals. What does this uh, have to do with that, race? I, I don't know. That's what That's what I don't understand. That's what I don't understand. And it, it's not like Haskins is like this, this guy who only cares about social media. Yeah, he tweets a lot. But so what? He's like 22 years old. I tweet a lot, too. Like, what does it matter? I still do my job when, when I have to work. 
Like, it's so weird. And, and like you said, like the race thing, what, what does that have to do with anything? It, it's like white players don't do this. I, I don't understand that. And it was a really weird take, especially coming from Booger McFarland, who, who is African-American. And he kind of just put his, his own race out to dry here with this with this statement. And it really made no sense. And it caught a lot of flack. And, and I'm glad it did because it was really baseless. And I don't know what he was getting at with with it to be honest like this Dwayne Haskins thing is like very clearly a a personal scenario like this doesn't happen very often where uh, a top 15 pick a a high profile draft pick uh, especially a quarterback comes in and it's just an absolute disaster and it's mostly because he doesn't have his head on right like this doesn't happen very often uh, but it happens here and he like doesn't single him out. Instead, he he cast a wide net across the NFL when there's so many so many players, particularly back black players, because the NFL is predominantly black, who do everything right and they contribute to their team and they're great teammates, uh, and they're great players and they're also great personalities. And he just kind of hung them out to dry, uh, and I thought that was really just in poor taste, honestly. Here's an idea: whether you're black, white, Indian, Latino, whatever, if you're starting a statement with, all right, I want to talk about the black guys real quick. You just need to stop talking. At, at that point, whatever you're about to say is already ridiculous. Yeah, generalities like that only get people in trouble because they are 99.9% of the time wrong unless you're like, uh, white guys, they need to put on more sunscreen because they got their arms burned because that happens to me every single Titans game I go to. But just those those massive generalities, every time I see a tweet or something or a comment that starts like that, I'm just like, I'm just going to scroll past this and not get involved. It's weird. Uh, that is going to do it for 2020 calendar year episodes of the No Nonsense Podcast. So happy new year to everyone. Hard to believe that when we come back next week, guys, we will be doing one of two things. We will hopefully... Uh, be doing a preview of a Titans playoff game where we will have a guest, a Titans guest, a guest from the other team. We, we do it big in the playoffs if you haven't been with us before. Hopefully that's what we get to do. There's also a chance we're here next week doing a eulogy for the 2020 Titans season. It's crazy to believe that we're already at this point with the coronavirus and everything that has gone on uh, in terms of the football stuff this year. Uh, it really has flown by. It feels like just yesterday we were sitting here preparing for that Broncos opening night game on Monday Night Football. But here we are, guys. Uh, We'll see what happens. Yes, we will. Yes, we will. But I have a good feeling. I have a good feeling. Yeah, understand that my sanity hinges on the result of this game. So (laughs) there there are two very different versions of Will that you you might come across uh, the next time I record this podcast. Until next time, uh, for Will and Matias, I'm Luke telling you to have a, have a happy new year and reminding you and everyone else in the sports world to stop the nonsense. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you 
With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.